0: Okay, let's pray and let's ask God to prepare our hearts for digging into Hebrews. So Lord, come right now. Thanks for these testimonies. Very encouraging the ways you're working. And Lord, this passage for today is, uh, I just feel like it could be really transforming for our view of trials. And I know you've been working in my heart uh, with this passage. And so I pray that you would come now and help us understand what you're saying here, and help us believe what you're saying here. And I pray for your help. Give me the right heart and the right wisdom, and would you do an amazingly deep and encouraging work in our hearts today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Good. So think about uh, a massive storm. Okay, gale force winds. Uh, Just pummeling, rain, thunder and lightning. And then think about how that massive storm with gale force winds would affect uh, cattails on the one hand and how it would affect an oak tree on the other hand. Okay. Huge difference here. So how many know what cattails are? I'll put a picture of it just in case. Those are cattails. Cattails, see, they're real, real spindly little stalks, okay? Very weak. They grow by the sides of lakes or they grow by the sides of streams. And so cattails have these little skinny stalks. And so if a gale force wind blew through cattails, what would happen? They would be flattened, demolished, and pummeled, right? Destroyed. But not an oak tree. Oak trees have rock-hard wood, and they have thick, massive trunks, and so if a gale-force wind hit an oak tree, it would stand, right? Now, maybe some of the branches would do a little swaying, some of the leaves would blow off, yes, but the the oak tree would stand no matter how strong the storm was that came its way. So here's why I mention that. I thought of that this week because studying this passage just stirred up the idea that part of our vision at Mercy Hill Church, is we want to raise up men and women and children who are so grounded in God's Word, what God's Word teaches about trials, so understanding God's promises, God's sovereignty, God's purpose for trials, that when the storms of life come, when the trials of life come, these men, these women, these children are oak trees. They've thought so deeply about God's word. They've so prayed through the scriptures, understanding God's purpose for trials, God's plan for trials, God's control over trials, that when the trials come, they are rock solid and they stand. That's our vision. And the reason I mention that is because the passage for today is one of those passages. That if we will study it, understand it, believe it, we will be oak trees. So let's go ahead and turn. To Hebrews chapter 12. If you, need one of, uh, if you need a Bible, we're having guys pass them out to you. We want everybody to have a Bible to look on this passage with. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, we're looking at verses 3 through 11, 12 today. This is on page 1008 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Now last week, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, remember last week we, we read, we learned that the Christian life is like a race. We're all in this race, heaven is the finish line, and our purpose now is to keep running this race, not to stop, not to drift aside, to keep running this race all the way to the end. And last week the author said, a crucial part of running this race is laying aside sin. That was verses 1 and 2. And then in today's passage he says, a crucial part of running this race is enduring painful trials. It's a crucial part of this race. The Christian life is enduring painful trials. And so he starts off asking this question and answering it. What should we expect to face as we're on this race? He wants to make sure we're all clear on what's going to happen as we're running this race. Now here's why he starts there and here's why this is so important. Too many Christians have the idea that because God is loving and, and gracious and kind, which he is... That therefore the Christian life means that your life will be free from stress, it'll be free from pain, it'll be free from suffering and difficulty. Many many Christians believe that. You might believe that. It's very dangerous to believe that. It's not what the Bible teaches. Till heaven, that's heaven, okay, but not now. And the problem is if you believe that that God has promised that if you follow Him and trust Jesus, your life will be. Free from stress, free from pain, free from trials. And what happens when the trials come? You've known people. It's a crisis of faith that comes. People start to think, I thought I was saved. People start to think, I thought there was a God. People start to think Christianity's not true. You've known people, right? So what does the Bible teach? That's the question we're asking. And in verses 3 and 4, the author helps us understand what kinds of trials Christians face. Look at what he says. Start with verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay, so to keep us from getting weary and faint-hearted on this race, he says, consider Jesus. What do we consider about Jesus? Jesus how much hostility he faced that is consider the the amount of suffering that jesus christ faced and if you consider that you won't grow faint or grow weary how what's the connection the connection is jesus has run this race before us and if his race meant severe trials then when you hit severe trials you won't need to think what's going on because you've already seen that's the race The race involves severe trials, so you won't grow weary or faint because you'll know this is the race. I'm not on the wrong race. It's not that I don't know God. It's not that God isn't loving. The race he's called us to run has severe trials on it. Jesus shows us that that's what it involves. And then there's verse 4. Now, this verse was not very easy for me to understand, okay? Let me just share with you what I think is going on here, and then you can ponder it some more this week. I think his point is this. We haven't come close to suffering as much as Jesus did, so don't be discouraged. Read verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the overall point is, don't give up. You're in trials Look to Jesus. He ran the race before us. He experienced more severe trials than we will ever face. I mean, he was punished for our sins on the cross. Nothing we suffer will come close to experiencing that. But the point is, the race involves trials. You should never have trials discourage you about the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You should never have trials discourage you about God's love for you. The race involves trials. He's told us that repeatedly through the scripture. So don't let the reality of trials discourage you in your faith. That's the race. So keep running, even when there's trials. That's the first question. But but he knows trials are painful. Okay, trials are difficult. Some of you, I would guess, are in the thick of such painful, maybe long-term trials. I would guess in a group that we have here, some of you feel like you this is like you're going to give it another week or two before you throw in the towel. Um, trials can make us hopeless. Trials can make us despair. Trials can make us question everything. And so the second question he wants to have us ponder is, how can we keep enduring trials when they are so painful? How can we keep enduring the trials on this race when the trials we face are so painful? And he answers that in verses 5 through 11. And what he tells us is this. He says, every trial that you face, large or small, it is the discipline of the Lord. Every trial you face, it's the discipline of the Lord. Now, be careful. Talking to Jan about this yesterday, I'm pretty sure that immediately these pictures are coming into your mind of the discipline of the Lord that are not accurate. So let me just give you the big picture ahead of time, then we'll come in, come back and fill in some of the blanks. When you think of the discipline of the Lord, think of two words. Loving, training. The discipline of the Lord is loving, training. It's loving, you can see that from verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one He Verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Okay, let that just... Oh, that's different. That's different, right? The Lord disciplines those he loves. And then training is the end of verse 11. It's for those who have been trained by it. So just from the get-go, I want you to have that in your mind. When you think of the discipline of the Lord, hear loving training. Loving training. So what are you going to hear when you hear the discipline of the Lord? You're going to hear... That's good. Now, with that in mind, look at verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, that he welcomes. That's the word receives there. It is for discipline that you have to endure. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, to bring us great good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So how can we endure the painful trials that are on this race. It's by understanding that they are the discipline of the Lord. Okay, so what does that mean? We be five truths. They're right there in your notes. First of all, every trial, every trial you face involves the discipline of the Lord. Now, one reason I say that is that verses 3 and 4, he wants us to understand that the race involves trials. And then in verse 5, without skipping a beat, he says... And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So he's making an immediate connection between trials, verses 3 and 4, and the discipline of the Lord, verse 5. Which means that the trials are the discipline of the Lord. Every trial is the discipline of the Lord. So he doesn't say, some trials you face are the discipline of the Lord, and some are not. Doesn't say that. He just simply says, when you face trials, remember, the trials involve the discipline of the Lord. Every trial involves the discipline of the Lord. Another reason I say that is because of verse 7. He says, it is for discipline that you endure. So see, every time we endure a trial, some of you are enduring a trial right now, it's for discipline. Which means the purpose of every trial that you have to endure is for the discipline of the Lord. He doesn't say, sometimes your trial is is endured for discipline he says if you endure it's for the sake of the discipline of the Lord that's the first truth and I would guess most of us many of us have not thought about that every trial you face think in your mind this is the discipline of the Lord whole nother way of thinking about it it's not random it's not purposeless it is the discipline of the Lord the loving training of the Lord okay second oh this is such a crucial truth the discipline of the Lord is not punishment. I would guess, many of us, that's exactly the picture that came into our mind when we heard the word discipline. But it is is—it is not punishment. But see, we think, okay, gods if, if it's the discipline of the Lord, then he's frowning at us, he's displeased with us, he's angry at us, and he's punishing us. That's not what's going on. Now here's the big picture why I say this. We all deserve punishment. Okay, that is the truth. We've sinned against God grievously. We deserve eternal punishment from God. But God sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. And just get this. This is so important. All the punishment for all of your past sins. All of them. That one? Yes, that one. And yes, that one too, okay? All the punishment you deserve for your past sins was all poured out upon Jesus, and he was punished for all the punishment you deserve for your past sins on the cross. And your present sins, whatever present sinfulness is in your heart. He was punished for all your present sins, and he was punished for all of your future sins. So if all the punishment you deserve was poured out upon Jesus, and because you're trusting Jesus Christ, that's exactly what's happened, because you're trusting him, all the punishment past, present, and future was poured out upon Jesus. If all the punishment you deserve was punished upon Jesus, how much more punishment do you have to go through in this life before you can see God? None! Never! Never! will you face punishment from God in this life or the life to come? No trial. This is so crucial. There's not one trial. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, not one trial you face involves any punishment from God. None. Some of you have have not really understood that. And this could be so liberating because, I mean, when you're going through a trial, it's hard enough. And if you think, yeah, and I must have done something really bad here. Yeah, God's punishing me. That makes it even worse, right? Banish that thought from your mind. Discipline of the Lord is not punishment. Now, notice verse 10 and 11, what he says here. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. That means to bring us great good, that we may share his holiness. What a gift to see God in all of his holiness. That's the the prize that's coming as a result of this discipline. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So the discipline of the Lord is not angry punishment. It is loving training. So the next time a trial comes, do not think I'm being punished by God. Totally wrong! If you're trusting Jesus Christ, not the case. All your punishment was put upon Jesus. There's nothing Of punishment in any trial, any one of God's saved children through Christ will ever experience. Some of you are just like, you're like being rocked right now. This is a brand new thought. It's so common for us to think that the discipline of the Lord involves punishment. It does not. Okay, so what does it involve then? Third truth, it involves God's love. The discipline of the Lord is God's love. Look at verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Some of you are going to really struggle to believe this. Okay? So let me read it again. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And as I mentioned before, that word receives is the one he welcomes. It's the one he embraces. It's the one he cares for. We've got to see this. When God disciplines us, He is not feeling displeasure. You see, n- there's nothing of that in this passage. You need to read through the whole passage. There's not a not a hint of it. The only feeling we read that God has towards us in this passage is love. That's it right there. So you've got to this change your understanding here. Okay? He disciplines those He loves. So when God brings trials our way, we should, we should not say... Here's this trial. God's bringing this to me because He doesn't love me. It's not what we should say. We should say, "Here's this trial. God is bringing this to me because He does love me." Now, isn't that different from how we usually think about trials? You're, you're all like stunned. Okay. Hey, this is hello. <laughs> this is true. Okay very different perspective though but you see how encouraging this is and if you've got to grapple with the trial and god's displeasure and punishment at the same time bah trials are hard trials are hard trials are hard but if you can understand this trial this coming my way is being brought to me because god loves me Whew. so they're not dis- they're not punishment It's the discipline of the Lord as God's love. So crucial. Look at verses 7 and 8. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or daughters. It's a generic term there. He's treating you as sons, daughters whom he loves. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So when God brings trials your way, you should, you should not say, look at that trial. I thought God loved me as his son. I thought God loved me as his daughter. When God brings trials your way, what you should say is, look at this trial. This trial is because God loves me as his son. This trial is because God loves me as his daughter. Okay, so trials are the discipline of the Lord. They're not punishment. Rather, they are God's love. How is that possible? This is a trial we're talking about here, a painful trial, suffering trial. How can that be God's love? That's the, here's the fourth truth. The discipline of the Lord is for our training. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, notice those last words. To those who have been trained by it. God lovingly brings you trials for training. So you can be trained by it. Let me just kind of unpack this. A lot of us think that when trials come, the discipline of the Lord brings a trial, that that trial is always the consequence for some particular sin we've committed. I would guess many of you think that. That whenever a trial comes, it's always the consequence for some particular sin that's been committed. Not a punishment, you know, all the punishment was put upon Jesus, but, but the consequence of some particular sin. Like with David, for example. David committed adultery and murder, and David's child by Bathsheba died. It was a consequence. So that does happen. But some of us think that's always the case. And so whenever a trial comes, we think, what did I do wrong? Right? How many of you think that when a trial comes? I do. Two of us, three of us, okay? Probably more. So we think that whenever a trial comes, this is the consequence for some particular sin. What did I do wrong? Why is this trial here? What did I do? There's nothing of that in this passage. The author in Hebrews 12 says nothing about these trials being the consequence for any particular sins. Read it through. Nothing in this passage about that. Nothing. The only reason given for why these trials are there is because of God's loving training. The only reason. So read this passage through very carefully and let let it change your, your thinking. So that's what we should always focus on, is this is loving training. That's the whole focus of this passage. This is God's loving training. This is God's loving training. Now you might think, well, if, Christians, if, if, if a Christian goes through severe trials, that must mean that they really needed training. And the rest of us, not so much? You don't see that either. You don't, there's, no, there's not a whiff of that in this, in this passage. God brings all of his trials. We all need training. And there's no connection between the severity of the suffering and how much training is needed. God just does things differently with all different people. Remember Job... Job was the most righteous man in the world. Right? So important to understand this. And Job suffered more than anybody in the world. Read the first two chapters of Job. So important. Okay, so get out of your mind that the greater the suffering, that must mean this person really needed a lot of training. And I'm glad I... Anyway, no. Okay, but but let this transform your view of trials. I mean, think about this. Let's just think of some of the storms of life that could come our way. Uh, Cancer could come our way. The Bible doesn't say that believers won't get cancer. God can heal cancer, and he does that often when we pray, or God chooses not to heal cancer with just as much love and care. And in those cases, it's because he's going to bless with loving training. and The fruit of righteousness is coming, and life is coming, and they're going to see more of his holiness, and it's a gift. But when, if cancer comes, think, loving training A distant spouse, an unresponsive spouse, the pain of that, think, loving training. Job layoff, loving training. Large trials, small trials, all trials. Loving training, loving training, loving training. Isn't this different? Oak trees result from that kind of thinking. Rock-solid oak trees. Branches are swaying, losing some leaves. We will suffer. We, we, we will feel grief. We will sorrow. That's all holy and righteous and biblical. But we will stand. Loving training. Okay, so what does this training produce? That's the fifth point. And then let's see if we have some questions so we can dig this deeper with some questions the discipline of the Lord brings us great good. And look at all the good that's listed in verses 9 through 11. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? Notice that word subject to. That's a huge part. When trials come, Loving training, and part of that training is to be subject to the Father of Spirits. He has authority over everything, even the spirit world. We subject ourselves to it. That's part of the training process. We say, "I'm going to pray that you take this away because that's right for me to pray that." But if you choose not to, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to be subject to you. Just this morning, back there praying, getting ready for this morning, and and a, and, a, and a thought came to my mind that brought a lot of like fear and concern to me. And I remember this and. I just said, okay, Lord, if that happens, it's, this is yours. And this doesn't always happen this way, but the fear left, peace came. We've got to be subject to the Father of Spirits. So shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? Life will be coming as a result of seeing the trials as loving discipline and, and subjecting, submitting ourselves to the Father. I mean, do, do you have a trial? that you're going through now, and you've you've not surrendered to the Father. You've not said, yes, Lord. I'm going to still pray and ask you to remove it. And he smiles. That's right. I have told you to do that. But yes, Lord, for what you're doing. Yes. I don't understand at all. I wouldn't choose this. But yes, Lord. Or is there a trial where you're saying no, and you're grumbling? and you're shaking your fist in God's face. Please don't do that. That's not the purpose. Shall we not more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? In verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, speaking of our earthly fathers, but he disciplines us for our good, to bring us great good. And the good, he says, Will come is that we may share his holiness. We will see God in all of his perfections. See him, behold him, be filled with him, satisfied with him, in him forever. Sharing his holiness, the discipline of the Lord brings us great good. And then verse 11 for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's just reality, right? It seems painful. Seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peace, fruit, righteousness coming through the loving training of the discipline of the Lord with every trial we face. So every trial that you face, you're going through now or that you will face this coming week is the discipline of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord is not punishment. Punishment. Banish that thought. The discipline of the Lord is God's love for you. And it's love because the discipline of the Lord brings training, and it's loving training, and the reason that training is loving is because of the, the result that comes, the great good that comes as an outcome. Okay, so let's ask some questions now. As I was talking to Jan about this, it's just like, whoa, This we were going back and forth and back and forth, and, and she was so helpful. So you can... Anything that was clear here, you can thank her. But anyway, go ahead, Steve. So it's a good question. So this is for believers. This is who this is written to. So is God actively disciplining? Is he punishing unbelievers right now before? We know he does at the end, yes. What do you guys think about that? How many would say he is? What's the difference between consequences and punishment? Okay, let's. So, um, do you understand why no believer ever gets punished for their for their sins and their wrongdoings that they've done? Do you understand that? It's because Jesus Christ has paid. So, when David's son by Bathsheba died, it was not David being punished for what he had done wrong. It was a consequence in order to. Bless David. It, even that was loving discipline. So consequences are loving training, loving training, loving training. So David's, the death of David's son was loving training. And maybe maybe punishment has a, a broader definition than I'm using here. That's probably why NIV translated it that way. Okay, But when I think of punishment, I think of uh, pain, suffering being brought to someone, to pay, or to, to um, what, what is happening when you're punishing, like when the justice system punishes someone, it's, you pay a fine to make up for the wrong you've done, before the authority, restitution, something like that, okay, so before God was like, angry, and now he's like, okay, chill, you paid, all right, we're good, and that's not what happens with David's son, does that make sense why that didn't happen with David's son, and then your question is, how can a consequence not be punishment? Well, God brings a consequence in order to, again, it's, it's always loving training. For David, it was loving training. It was a consequence of what he did in that case. So sometimes loving discipline is a consequence for a particular sin. But my problem, as I was thinking about this passage yesterday, is that many, many, many Christians I talk to, the moment that they suffer, they immediately think, what did I do? And that's their whole grid. And there's no grid for loving training. There's not a hint in this passage that any of these believers needed to trace back to their particular sin that they dealt with and repent of it. Just not a hint of it. It's just not in this passage. So I think coming back to the punishment consequence question is it's, there's something about punishment in the way that I'm saying it's not, in that it does not atone for our sins. It does not make up for what we did before God. That's, that's all the idea of punishment that I'm trying to stay away from. Okay. Does that help any? It's a little fuzzy there. So does God punish um, unbelievers in this life? We know that that he will in the life to come. And uh, any any scriptures that would answer that question? The the kindness that... Yeah, so I think there probably—I don't see any reason to think that there isn't any possibility of an unbeliever being punished by punished punished by God in this life. Um, I don't see any real problem with that biblically. But God also says the kindness of God leads people to repentance, so God is very kind to unbelievers also to bring bring them to their knees before the Lord. So, what happens in this life? There's no—it's it's not as simple as in the life to come. I think there's—I think there's more. Then just just to prove a point, Job was transformed, Uh, wasn't wasn't Job transformed? As you read the later chapters, Job was powerfully transformed, saw God more clearly than ever. Um, So there was more going on than that. But it's a very good point that Job it was not it was not punishment, and it certainly wasn't even a consequence. He's the most righteous man in the world. That's a it's a perfect example of what Hebrews is talking about. I think, And, and again, Job was transformed. He received that loving training. So, the latter, latter chapters of Job, I think, will 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 unfold the, the transformation that happened in Job. Yeah, the word discipline is a broad word, okay? And so th- that word itself doesn't pinpoint what the exact meaning is. But when you understand that all of our punishment was paid for in Jesus... And that what God is bringing to us is love. The only feeling, did you catch that in this passage? The only clue we get about God's heart in this process its love. It's the only word here. You see that? Okay. Others. So he's, he's run the race before us, and there he is learning obedience through suffering of course he was never sinful never had any sin to deal with right but he did still learn obedience through suffering and so there's our Lord running the race before us that's the race that we're on so don't lose heart don't grow weary let me just throw out a thought in terms of the consequence punishment thing which may or may not be helpful but I think one one way of looking at it is punishment is when um, you cause you, you, you bring pain in order to cause harm to make up for wrong done to make up for wrong done. That's punishment. And consequence is when you, you bring pain to bring good. I, mean, I think there's something going on there that's important to keep in mind. And that's always how it is with God and in us and those who are saved. Never to make up for wrong that was done. Okay, we should probably wrap up here, though. Here's the question. What does this mean for us? We're going to talk about this verse more next week. But look, look at verse 12. Here's the therefore... Hebrews 12, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse verse 12. Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And there's more that he says, but I want you to focus on that. Trials, you're running the race, and trials can make your hands droop, right? Trials can make your knees start to buckle. It's like, oh. And, And so the author says, Look at the loving training, the loving fatherly training that the Lord's bringing to you on this race. Lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, put your trust in God's perfect love, kindness, and wisdom in bringing you the trials he's bringing you. Trust him, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and run the race. That's his word for us. Lift up drooping hands, strengthen weak knees. Let's stand. Here's what I want to do. Some of you are going through trials right now and we want to pray for you. So if you're going through a trial right now, come on up and we'll have a home group up here to to help us with this. But if you're going through a a trial, any trial, large, small, it's a trial you're going through, come on up, stand here. We want to pray and ask God to really just touch your heart today and encourage you and strengthen you with this. So come on up. Trials. Trials, people. There's a few more. Come on out, Going, going. Large trial, small trial. Let's have people come and gather around these that are coming forward to pray. Don't hesitate. If you've got a trial, we'd love just to pray and ask God, oh, strength and courage, comfort, help, Lord, we pray. Let's have people praying for these that have come forward. Okay, home group. Come on up. Thank you so much. Good. Okay. Somebody praying for Mike here? We need somebody to come pray for Mike. Okay. Thanks. Anybody else for trials? Let's pray for these that have come. Lord, these these are going through trials right now. Your, your beloved sons and daughters right here. And you are their father. And all the punishment for their sins was poured out upon Jesus 2,000 years ago. Past sins, present sins, future sins, all poured out upon Jesus. And he said, it is finished. It's finished. And so we praise you that these trials are going through, there is nothing of punishment in it. Lord, set set them free, any of them who have wrestled with thinking that it might be punishment. Lord, right now, set them free, I pray. Bring the power of your Holy Spirit upon them, God. Lord, let them see your love, that you bring loving training to bring us great good. This is love. This is love. This is love. Lord, please, help them see that. Help them feel that right now. And let that lift their spirits. Let that lift drooping hands. Let that strengthen buckling knees to run the race. I pray that you'd cause them by the power of your Holy Spirit to abound in hope right now. To abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So come and do that now, we pray. So those of you who are here just why don't you start praying for them maybe God will give you words of prophecy to share with them go ahead and do that anybody else if you before we wrap up here if you have any other need or you still want to come and get prayer for trials we'd love to pray for you before you go in terms of maybe job issues or health issues or maybe you're struggling with a temptation or maybe you want to give your life to the Lord this morning we'd love to pray for you about that so come on up and have us pray for you before you go but Lord I pray that this week we would grow to be oaks so grounded in your word, so strong in your word that we would be strengthened with every trial that comes our way. Thank you for your word. Meet us in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.